is the podcast where four psychotherapists, three of us Canadian, one of us American, serve you cutting-edge mental health knowledge. I'm Dr. Ryan Howes, a clinical psychologist from Pasadena, California. And I'm Brooke Lewis, a registered clinical counselor from Port Moody, and I was writing out my topic. Sorry about that. And I'm Joanna Boyd, registered clinical counselor from Coquitlam. Chris Boyd, psychotherapist from Metro Vancouver. Metro Vancouver, welcome everybody to episode 93 of the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. Wow, hey, 93. I want to say that we, I was taking a look at some, some statistics and this podcast has reached around the world. It's reached... 49 of the 50 states, for some reason, we have, we have yet to breach North Dakota, for some reason. That's okay. So tonight's, tonight's topic, we will reach them. If anyone knows anyone in North Dakota, let's just complete the whole map. What do you say? Uh, Canada, it has reached all of the lower provinces, but has yet to hit, hit uh, none of it in Yukon and the other one. The territories? The territories, right. We haven't quite hit there yet. And I was looking at the, the world map, and we've been to 70 countries. Really? Whoa. 70 countries, yes. That's really cool. Yeah, 70 countries around the world, which is very cool. And I, I want to give a shout out to our most recent country that we've hit, which is Malawi. Where is, is Malawi? Malawi is a small country. It's uh, it is not on the on the ocean. It is a, uh, what do they call that? Landlocked, landlocked country in Africa, uh, southern Africa, uh, near Mozambique, Zimbabwe, down there, and a small country of seventeen million people. Cool. Beautiful place, apparently, and. Uh, Thank you to the people of Malawi for listening to the Mental Health Bootcamp podcast. That's cool. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Yes. And I still remember the time we were very popular in Tajikistan. We were a big deal in Tajikistan. Very briefly. That's the second biggest mental health uh, podcast in the country. Yeah. Top 20, I think. Total podcast in the country. Oh, man. And like oh, yeah. two in France for mental health or something like that. <laughs> if we don't uh, get to North Dakota by episode 100 or by 99, we should meet there and do the podcast live from North Dakota. And hopefully someone listens or hears it, you know, as we're doing it. Perfect. I'm with you. So we'll find a pub or something like that. Yeah. We'll do the podcast and maybe the server or someone close by. We'll hear it and that will count. Flights actually could be super cheap to North Dakota. Find a cheap hotel. Could be a good weekend trip. Yeah. Okay. Let's go. We're in North Dakota. Meet us in North Dakota, everybody. We'll get get people from around the globe. Get see what tickets are from Malawi to Fargo. There we go. Yeah. That'd be quite funny. We do a, a live podcast streaming event. People can uh, come join us and listen. And I'd love that. It'd be a thing. We just need one person to listen. One person. <laughs> yeah. But it'll only show up on our staff if they download it. 
That's true. We can we can do that. We can pay someone to download it in the state. You know, someone to verify that they listened or something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> yes, we'll figure it out. Then we'll go up to the northern territories and none of it in Yukon and take care of those next. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Uh, I hope you guys had a good November. We didn't haven't met for nearly a month, so good month for you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Good. It was good. So vacation time to okay. uh, other destination. Uh, very fortunate to go to Hawaii, which is a very cool place. And then uh, what else happened? Oh, yeah, because I was two Thursdays. We left on uh, yeah. Thursday and came back on a Friday. So yeah. that was two boot camp times. Right. And then uh, American Thanksgiving. American last Thanksgiving week. was last week. That's right. And I was uh, in a food coma about this time last week. After stuffing myself with stuffing and turkey yeah. and ham and all these other great foods. So yeah, it was a nice holiday. Yep, hopefully I had some stretchy pants on. Stuffing yeah. helps and nights like that. Sure does. Yes. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, you're, you're kind of fans of fancy uh, clothing wear. Um, I know. But uh because I mentioned that because Chris and the ugly sweater, okay, ugly yeah. Christmas sweater holiday that he started. Uh, but the uh, the brand Stovetop Stuffing down here has started making pants that are specifically for um, for Thanksgiving, and they have a stretchy top to them that kind of goes on your belly. It's kind of stretchy, and that that stretchy part looks like the stuffing actually so it says stovetop stuffing on the legs and then right around your belly there's the stuffing and it kind of stretches those, so it's those, like maternity pants they're kind of like maternity pants a little bit yeah but they're uh they've, they've gotten really popular down here pretty funny i've never heard of that before i, I heard about it like bloat bottoms <laughs> i don't know bloaty bottoms, bottoms. <laughs> I don't know. I heard about them and I went online to try to look for some and they were sold out. So they're selling like hotcakes. It's all like stuffing up here. Oh. That's great. Yeah. That's, uh, that's really funny. That is. Some are funny names because they have stuffed stockings. Sure. Stuffy, yeah. Let go leggings. Let go leggings. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Ah, it's all about. Body positivity. Just enjoy the meal. Have a good time, everybody. Totally. It's just, yeah, the discomfort when you overeat a little or, or again, get a little bit bloated from rich foods that you don't normally eat or the sodium content or whatever. And yeah. sometimes you just got to pop a button, you know? Sometimes you do. Yes. I was, I was reading, you know, people often talk, I don't know if they talk about it up there, but, um, in Turkey, there's a little chemical called tryptophan, which people have attributed to the, the sleepiness that uh, yep. people feel after they've kind of stuffed themselves with turkey. And some scientists were like, no, it's not really the tryptophan. <laughs> you've, yeah. just, you've just loaded yourself up with like, you know, a couple thousand calories of carbohydrates. You're just tired, that's all. <laughs> yeah, your body is metabolizing right now. <laughs> It's not, yeah, the tryptophan makes a small impact, but really it has nothing to do, no, no comparison to the massive amounts of stuffing and uh, 
mashed potatoes and gravy you just had. So, okay, take that. Okay. Um, yeah, the fine print is the study was paid for by that. Yeah. That drug. Yeah, <laughs> the tryptophan. Uh, I just wanted to check also with you guys. Um, I guess send my condolences. I know that Canada was knocked out of the World Cup. I don't know if you guys are following. Uh, is is the World Cup a big thing up there? It is. Yeah. It's getting bigger and bigger. That's a big, big uh, deal. Yeah. In certain circles, it's very big. Because there's a lot of like it wasn't just because Canada was in it. Like I actually didn't watch any, but there's just people have been following it for a long time. Lots of big fans. There's people who might be you know, Germany or like, I don't know, there's, there's fans all over the place. Yeah, it's so. very multicultural yeah. and um, they actually allow establishments, I don't know if it's the same in LA, to like stay open at funny hours and extend liquor licenses and whatnot so people can gather and watch games in real time. So yeah, down there's an area, Commercial Drive is most notably Italian. Yeah, so that happens. But cultural centers, like cultural the center, Croatian yeah. cultural center, places like that. They, yeah. A lot of yeah. As the clients were down there, a thousand people in the Croatian Cultural Center, and they're a multicultural city. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, soccer is big in in Canada or Vancouver anyway. Like tons of kids play soccer. Yeah. And uh, so really cool to see the teens fired up about it, but adults as well. So yeah, I would say it's a it's a huge deal. That's great. It's it's always been interesting here because it's it's been a big thing for kids to play since since I was a kid. I played on the soccer team when I was in grade school and, and it just seems to be growing and growing in popularity, but it's, it has not quite broken through as a big spectator sport here. It's, it, I think it's getting, I mean, it's closer than it's ever been, but uh, I've, I've noticed a, a little change this time around with the world cup. I think maybe it's because the, the U S is doing pretty well. Um, but more and more people are watching. Uh, my, my kids say that, uh, their teachers had it on during their class at school. Like people are watching all the time now. It's kind of fun. Never done a lot of that too. While yeah. the schools are playing it and embracing it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I haven't actually watched a game yet, but uh, good to hear the United States is doing well. Canada, you know, feeling, but yeah. <laughs> I watched a thrilling game of the U.S. versus England, and you know, sitting there cheering my head off uh for a zero zero tie <laughs> <laughs> which is a very a very un-american thing you know we like we like running up the score and all that kind of you know yeah bravado but zero zero tie yeah usa it's kind of wild yeah that's great. great in america obviously very sports centric but yeah you got american football you have baseball of course the great american pastime Even basketball is gigantic Sure. So soccer is down the totem pole a bit, or down the ladder. Well, they we still call hockey the like the fourth big sport here. Really? Yeah. So it's still bigger than than soccer here, but uh, at least at least hockey is picking up steam. I mean, when Las Vegas has a hockey team, you know there must be something going on. You know, a desert town with a hockey team. <laughs> Got to be something going on. That's cool. Yes. We don't hold a candle to you guys, though, because you can actually play hockey on lakes in the wintertime, and we can't do that down here. That's true. Yeah, Canada's hockey is definitely top three sports in Canada. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, 
Brooke, you got something for us tonight? Yep. Do you want ready? You want that now? All right, let's do this. This is the ambush. Brooke knows the topic. The other three of us do not. She's going to send it across the border. Is that your turkey? The drum, drum roll. Is it radar? <laughs> I can expand after Ryan reads it. Sound like the All right. camera on a, a long one back. here. A long one. You ready? What do you wish your clients knew? And that's, that's it. it, Brooke. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. So, um, all right, let's jump into it. <laughs> it's a very open question. So, um, really, we've done so many of these. So, I was trying to get some inspiration. So, I went through like Psychology Today articles, and then I looked at all of our previous episodes, and then I looked at my clients from this week. And I think after that was the last thing I did was look at my clients from the week, tried to see if like it was there an issue or presenting presenting issue or situation that we could talk about. And um, yeah, and, and then that question just kind of came to mind of like looking through some of these clients where I'm like, oh, I wish they knew some things like um, like their value or oh. their strengths. Um, so like nuggets of wisdom nuggets of wisdom that you like like help like things that you wish your clients knew about themselves client or things you wish your clients knew about the process of therapy or um the journey they're about to embark on or the journey that they have gone on okay. i don't know just kind of these because we can't always as therapists share them share those types of insights mm -hmm. with our clients like i i think sometimes they go home and uh, they might think that we never think of them again, but uh, we often do, and and clients do hold a special place in our hearts, and um, and it's kind of a, and sometimes we so can share something, right? They wish they knew that, yeah, yeah, that we do genuinely care about them. Or, anyways, I thought it would just be, an, we can see where it goes. Very open ended, but things that you wish your clients knew, whether that's pragmatic things or nuggets of wisdom or yeah um or previous clients you know if you're thinking about someone and maybe they just had a really big blockage and you're like oh, i i wish you could just see this or i wish yeah, you knew this that's what kind of popped in my mind too is sometimes uh you know it's whether they they know it but feel it to be true is is another one too. yeah because sometimes i think they can understand logically what you're saying or or um certain insights that they may have but sometimes they don't feel it to be the case yeah. it's uh, funny when i when i first heard this brooke i was I, I thought you were just talking about like what do i wish clients knew what do i wish people knew you know like if there was some something just in general some big things out there um that, but as, you that talk, could be it. as you talk more as we're talking more we're talking about like about therapy or about the process there how we how we feel about them in therapy that's that feels like an important topic as well. So maybe we can address both of those, like what uh, yeah. in the therapy office and with and outside the therapy office, what do we wish they knew? Huh? Totally, and it could be general or if there's um, specific clients, obviously without identifying information, but situations where you're like, oh, I wish this client knew whatever about themselves or about what, whatever it might be. Anyway, yeah, yeah. broad topic. More of a storytelling conversation topic, I think. The topic is morphing as we as we speak. It sure is. Okay. 
Well, I'll just kick off with what I, I love what you said there, Brooke, because I think that's something that is a common thing. I, I think that clients don't often know how how much of an impact they make on our lives. And we do really, at least I know that I do, think about my clients often and reminded of them, you know, uh, a TV show, a movie, I'll be reminded of them just like I'm reminded of, of friends or family. Uh, they're, they're real people in my life. And, uh, and I think of them, whether they're current clients or past clients, uh, they, I hold them in my mind um, quite a lot. And, and I don't think clients know that so much. What's yeah, that? We have so many experiences together, right? Like even though we as therapists are not with them, we are vicariously with them through their journey. Um, yeah, Definitely. so I agree. I think there's so many little reminders or even if it's a past client and, and there's just the, yeah, I don't know, you see something and it reminds you of them or makes you think of them and you wonder how they're doing and you wish them the best and yeah. There's, there's a, a common thing that, that clients will sometimes say, which is like, well, you don't really care about me I, because I pay you right? Um, you know, so this isn't a real relationship because I just, I pay you for this. And I, I've through the years kind of come up with, well, you know, you, you pay me for my time and for my experience and for my, you know, expertise, whatever that might be. But, but you don't, you're not paying for me to care for you. I hope that you're out feeling that care anyway. And if you're not feeling that I care for you, then that's something for us to talk about, right? Like that's some that's there's something that's being blocked because I do care. And if they're not feeling that care, then that's something for us to address, right? That's a good point. Yeah, for sure. And I think people can sense that if uh, someone doesn't truly care. You think of like sometimes the medical profession, for instance, um, there's a lot of great studies about if a doctor actually cares and listens and shows a bit of empathy, then often they're patients uh, heal um, or they benefit greatly from that right so mm -hmm. within a caring yep. relationship it doesn't necessarily mean that there's always going to be uh, empathy and um, just the non-judgmental uh, awareness and the authenticity there right absolutely uh, another thing that jumped to mind for this was that I, I wish that clients knew oftentimes clients will will apologize saying oh you must be so tired of hearing this stuff or i've i've, I've talked about this before and and uh, uh, you must be sick of me saying this to you and i'm like no <laughs> not a, that's not it at all and or or if they get emotional they're feeling feeling sad crying in the session they're like oh i'm sorry i'm so emotional today I'm like whoa that's that's not it at all and the analogy i've used it's like if if a therapist is getting tired of listening to problems or or working with emotions, that's that's kind of like a chef getting tired of food, mm -hmm. like or a or a plumber getting tired of leaky pipes. I mean, that's what we do. That's what we're here for. Yeah. And and if it takes us going through the same problem 10, 15, 30 times, fine. As long as we're as we're getting somewhere, I don't mind rehashing the same ground. That's it's it's what I'm trained for. It's what I do. Yeah. Along those same lines, there's a lot of, I feel like a lot of clients will sometimes start off before sharing, say, well, this sounds silly or this sounds, this might sound crazy, or I feel like they almost, yeah, they're already expecting judgment or there's a fear of judgment there. 
which, and you know what, it's, they're sharing some pretty innermost things here. So I'm sure there's a lot of voices going on for them um, of insecurity or vulnerability, but just for them to know, like, you're, it does not sound crazy. It does not like, you know, so many people feel the same way you do. Like, it's okay to feel that way. Um, and you don't need to down, like, diss yourself or, or put out there that it's going to sound out of the ordinary before you even start sharing. Um, for sure. So I hear that a lot. Um, and also, it's okay to cry. <laughs> I want clients to know it's okay to cry. You know how many clients come in and they either apologize for yeah that's true apologize or getting too emotional so sorry or um and or clients come in who just don't want to cry they won't let themselves go there because they have a lot of associations with crying whether it's weakness or they're not used to showing that that those feelings but um anyways yeah it's okay i just i if i could do my dissertation over again it would be looking at American clients versus Canadian clients and their feelings about crying in session, right? Because you guys are so good at apologizing about everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. sorry, I'm crying. I'm sorry. This must be, you know, the, the politeness component. You know, I wonder if uh, if your clients are actually more like sensitive to that. Like, uh oh, this could be uh, upsetting for you if I'm crying here. Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. As a, a sociological question there yeah it's interesting yeah no big time often uh, people apologize there's a vulnerability or yeah but uh yeah i often say no please (laughs) and they obviously don't encourage it but you just let them know that's this is a safe place stress hormones come out through the tears it's actually good so to build up pressure and tension that often has to come out through tears and can be very expressive and cathartic so yeah it's a good thing often it's like uh please, you know, utilize the Kleenex. Yeah. I think there's so many reasons as to why they might say that, right? Which is a whole, probably different podcast, but anyways, it's, sure. uh, yeah. it's yeah. okay to cry. I just, uh, I wish all clients knew that, uh, I know we talked about this in terms of just therapy in general, but it's so subjective, right? Mm-hmm. And every therapist, mm-hmm. therapist is different. I still hear that, uh, you know, from clients or, or people that clients know that they say, oh, well, so-so said that I tried counseling once and didn't work for me. I tried therapy once and didn't work. So that um, it's a kind of a unique process. There's lots of different approaches that we utilize and, you know, um, trying to find the best approach to fit the client's individual needs. And a lot of the benefits of therapy come from that therapeutic relationship, that connection that you have with it the psychologist or counselor and um that it's uh, sometimes it takes a little while it takes a bit of patience to find sure. that good with someone so uh not just clients i wish everyone kind of knew that because i think they would be more open to being patient with the process saying i tried therapy once it didn't work for me so then i stopped looking for therapy is sort of analogous to uh i thought about buying a car i test drove one it wasn't the right car for me, so I stopped looking for a car. Like, like it. You know, there's there are so many different types of therapists. There's so many different types of people. You know, you're gonna click with some and not with others. So sometimes you got to try several. And I encourage people to try several. Even if someone comes to me and says, "I think you're you're the guy for me," I'm still fine. I've, I've oftentimes will encourage them. Please 
test around a little bit more if you if you'd like to because uh, I might not be the right one for you. Um, yeah, like uh, encouraging people, saying I will not take that personally. It's okay. Yeah, that feedback. Let me know how things are feeling and going for you. Yeah, yeah that's so important. But that's how it's supposed to go. It's not always that. It's not always like that, though. Sometimes therapists get defensive, or or um, they make it about themselves, not about the client. So, yeah, that's true. That is true. Unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately, there. That's not all therapists are created alike, and uh, and. That's a good thing, but there are some downsides to that too. Some some folks have very different uh, stances on stuff like that. Um, what else about therapy? Uh, I'll, I'll hit. I've, I often hit this point, but I'll hit it again, which is that uh, therapy can be a place to have a good ending. So if you are thinking of stopping your therapy, that's fine. How about, you know, try and talk about that with your therapist first and, and talk about why it is you're feeling that way and what it is that uh, making you feel that way. Just, just to help you have a good closure uh, as opposed to just a voicemail saying I'm done later um, or just kind of disappearing. Cause I think that there are, there are too many, not so good endings in this world and it'd be great to have a place where you can have one good kind of complete closure sort of an ending and i think yeah. therapy is really good at facilitating that no great point absolutely yeah because sometimes if maybe it's uh, the therapist need to explain that better throughout the process of counseling so um it's not yeah. awkward because i i do think it's uh, from societal perspective sometimes there's some uncomfortable feelings about that right yeah absolutely yeah i mean we and endings can be painful and a lot of times they are and yet a a good therapist can help help that to be a a nice thing more like a graduation than uh than a breakup you know yeah yeah for sure yeah let's see We've been talking a lot about like the process of therapy and and the, the therapist's perspective on things and the relationship, but there's definitely some nuggets of information um, that I, I kind of hope and wish all clients kind of knew. Um, <clears throat> I can speak from I, I think I've touched on this before over the course of 93 podcasts, probably back in episode 37. Um, but I remember in my early 20s, I was reading a book by Eckhart Tolle called Power of Now. In there, he suggested that 80 to 90% of our thoughts are repetitive, useless, and negative. And I was, I was confused. I'm like, how would I know what I'm thinking if I'm my thoughts? And I realized, no, of course, you're that deeper part of the mind that can notice the thoughts pop up, right? So to make a long story short, one important piece of information I wish clients knew is that you're not your thoughts and feelings. You're the space and place your thoughts and feelings occur. Um, so... To simplify that, even just you're not your thoughts. Thoughts are there. There are uh, a lot of reasons why our experiences, our biology, our genetics, our temperament. Um, you know, there's certain patterns of thinking that will develop based on our, a lot of it's due to our experiences in life and our attachments, our challenges and whatnot. But because a thought is there, it doesn't mean it's the truth. 
So sometimes we have amazing thoughts, but sometimes we have some thoughts that are very unhelpful for us. So just seeing that, noticing that can be very, very helpful. It's definitely helpful for me anyway. That's, that's great. Yes, you are not your thoughts. And, and you mentioned emotions there too. And I piggyback on that and say that most of the time emotions are a signal. They're, they're a, something that's signaling you to something. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to act on it. it doesn't mean you necessarily have to, you know, numb it or impulsively push it away or something like that. They're usually telling you something. And if you stop for a second and go, hmm, I'm feeling angry right now. Why, why am I angry? Or oh, this, this brings up sadness for me. I wonder what that's about. You can actually learn a lot about yourself that way. Mm -hmm. For sure. And on that kind of realm to extend that to say, uh, I wish clients knew they didn't have to be afraid of their feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Feelings are something to be curious about. They can be uncomfortable, but you don't have to be afraid of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's because sometimes when people are afraid of their feelings, they they don't want to experience them. They exactly. want them to go away. Avoid, and avoid, that, avoid. avoid. And that intensifies it, um, which is it's counterproductive. Um, and then leads to self destruction. Yeah. So instead, it's more of that detached or like curiosity about them, right? Yeah. Seeing them for what they are, messages, or there's a lot of reasons why they might be there. But the more you Brooke, want to get rid of them, the stronger they get. Brooke, would you say that about anxiety? To not, yeah, not fear the anxiety. Because mm -hmm. it'll compound it. And instead, knowing again, yeah, it's uncomfortable. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. And uh, if you can lean into it, if you can befriend your feelings, then life gets a lot easier. Mm. Yeah, because anxiety is like anticipation of harm and danger. But so many people I know, um, clients, they, they're anxious about being anxious, right? Yeah. They, they become yeah. this kind of feedback loop. So it becomes uh, more intensified, right? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so we, we are not our thoughts, we are not our feelings. So what the heck are we then? <laughs> we are the vessel, apparently. Well, yeah, and of course, there can be uh, some discussion on this. It's just uh, a perspective on it, but there's a deeper part of your mind, like your your values. There's certain personality traits, characteristics, passions, right? Yeah. There's something there that captures who you are better than the automatic thoughts and judgments about yourself or about your life. Yeah. Right? yeah. So I'll help the client today explore that a bit because he has a lot of feelings of embarrassment and shame. And so we got to delve into it, but and talk about maybe some of the aspects of himself that he's proud of and, and he's grateful for. Had a hard time seeing it, but mm -hmm. once we explored it, he couldn't really deny it. And so I think that was a better predictor of who he was, not the automatic thoughts and feelings. And, uh, sure. Which we're, we're holding back, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's good stuff. Yeah. Um, for sorry, the for people watching, if anyone's watching, I, I stepped out to take my dog out to go to the washroom. So Joanna filled filled me in briefly. 
Um, Is that what she was doing over there? Some of some of the items. Uh, so I apologize if you guys brought this one up, but yeah, they're like uh, a lot of clients. I think come in and they like they think they're damaged or broken. I'm broken. I'm damaged. That kind of thing. And yeah, I wish they knew that they're they're not and that they are lovable and they're deserving and they do have strengths. I think a lot of my clients sometimes come in with the narratives that they don't, that they're damaged goods and that they're broken and that being broken means they're going to be broken forever. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on that one and say that I wish clients knew that most a lot of psychological symptoms that people have are a response or, or an attempt at trying to stay safe or get healthy. Yeah. Like, like a lot of times the things that people do, like someone might say, um, you know, they, uh, they get anxious and so they overeat or what, or they, they drink too much or something like that. Oftentimes, what what that is, it's it's just a it's an attempt to try to feel better. It's an attempt to try to um, avoid pain, maybe uh, that has probably worked at times in the past. It has some negative consequences. It has some things that are are um, can have long term effects if they continue that. But it's usually people are just trying to find a way to to feel okay. Absolutely. And, you know, even as soon as someone comes in with. Uh, uh, like a dissociative thing. Gosh, I, I just space out at times, right? I lose, I lose time. I lose myself. Well, we oftentimes find that that was that was the coping mechanism they had to employ when they were being abused or had some trauma in their life, and that helped save them at one point. So we just need to try to find a, a better way to deal with that in in the current situation that they're in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, great point. Yeah. So again, it goes to, to Brooke's point of like, it's not that you're flawed. It's actually that something that you were doing that was helpful for you at one point is just kind of lingering now uh, when it's no longer necessary. Yeah. It's actually saying, hey, you were resourceful. Yeah. When you didn't have any resources, like that's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So, so sometimes clients feel broken and there's they feel that they're always going to be that way or yeah. feel that way. And so probably a good time to bring up the whole idea of neuroplasticity that we can develop new pathways within the brain and body. We can change um, the way that we think and feel and, uh, various behaviors. Um, sometimes it takes some awareness and some creativity and some persistence, but it is possible, right? So there's a lot of uh, empirical evidence, of course, from the field of neuroscience to back that. So it's, uh, gives a lot of people hope when they can try to explain that to them. Great. People can change. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll throw out something else here too, which is that there are, there have been a number of clients through the years who have come in saying, this is a bad situation. How do I get the people around me to change? Oh yeah. How do I, how do I, how do I get my spouse to change? How do I get my boss to change? How do I get my kids to change, right? And so this is the the flip side of that a little bit. You know, 
is is well sometimes that growth and change sometimes you're you're being able to cope with life and and deal with the world is going to require change in you more than other people and in fact if you're coming to therapy then you're the only person we can really work with we're not going to be able to change others in your life we need to work on how you can, might be able to change in this situation and i had one of those uh recently where someone was saying yeah my partner is has been really difficult and um, I'm trying to tell my partner what to do and they're not listening to me and how do I how do I get the point across that I want them to change this way and the work was like all right what is it that you're wanting to change and why and why is that such a problem for you actually and can you actually learn to adapt and accept the what what they're doing so that it's not so much of a problem for you and that's not really what they wanted to hear, but uh, but really, in in the end, most of life is going to be about you being able to to change things in yourself um, instead of trying to manipulate and change all the people around you, right? Oh, it's a, this is a great point. Yeah, I get that a good amount. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's actually a very very empowering message. And, yeah, and I'm not sure as I always see it that way, but. You got to focus on things you have control over, and ultimately, it's your perception or interpretation of your reality. Because if you're focusing so much on what other people are doing, you have no control over that. That means anything they say or do will control your level of happiness, right? That's not a fun way to to, to live, right? So you're trying to get that power back a bit. Of course, there might be some uh, ways to find solutions and problem solve and improve certain dynamics with others, but ultimately. You're right. You may have to change your perception of it or how it impacts you, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And and you're right. It is empowering because now now the work becomes me. You know what what can I do on me as opposed to trying to get someone else to change out there, which uh, as we know in this field, people can change, but they have to want to change. They have to have to want to to make those changes in their life and and don't often do that at the directive of someone else, right? Yeah. No, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's got to be about yourself and your, your beliefs and, and whatnot. So that's a great mm -hmm. one. Mm -hmm. I think um, another thing I, I wish clients knew is sometimes it's, it's comes across as simple. So maybe, maybe in my own work, mm -hmm. I don't focus on it enough, but just the, Circling back to podcast number one, the importance of the essentials. I just read a book or listened to a book recently from Johan Hari on focus and reiterated the importance of sleep, for instance. Yeah. And self-care and after the eating or um, the nutritional side of things and exercise. Comes up over and over and over and over. It is like the foundation. It yeah. really is the foundation. Sometimes we get so into the, the psychology side of things and our, te our techniques and approaches that sometimes those essentials are not being taken care of and has a huge impact in terms of your mental and physical health, of course. Yeah. Yes. I, I will say that since, since we started the, uh, the actual mental health boot camp and we started this podcast, those essentials have become much more apparent to me in my work with clients. You know, when someone comes in in a, in a first session or early on, it's like, all right, let's talk about your, 
your sleep habits. Let's talk about your eating habits. Let's talk about, uh, you know, whether or not you're getting exercise. And sometimes those are the interventions that make the biggest difference for people, you know, being able to, to, to have some strenuous exercise to, to work on their stress or their anxiety can be huge for people or realizing, wow, I only sleep uh, three and a half hours a night. Yeah. Of course, you're stressed out and at wit's end all day long if you're not sleeping very well. Let's talk about that, right? Yeah, well, big time. Obviously, not easy things. Just to sleep is a tricky one. We talked about that before, um, but um, but that alone can help stabilize things a bit, right? Yeah. So. Yeah, it's your starting point, your baseline. What am I coming to the world with? You know, if I'm at a deficit already nutritionally or with my physical health or my sleep, then everything's going to be more intense as a result, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you have these cultural norms that sometimes work against that saying, you know, you don't need, you need just need four hours of sleep and just work longer, work harder. And right. my goodness, garbage. The impact of that mm -hmm. is detrimental. Yeah. Also, it needs to be emphasized over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll say on top of that, that, uh, Aside from those basic physical needs, relational needs are so very important. Um, Harkening back to another of one of our books uh, with uh, Vivek Murthy. Yeah, uh, together. together. And just the the kind of epidemic of loneliness that we have in, in our culture today and how so very important it is to have community and have connections with people. And so much of what we're dealing with uh, stress-wise, financial stress, existential stress, other things that people are dealing with. Like if you have a community of people that you're with and can connect with on a regular basis, it just seems to diffuse a lot of those stresses and you either get the support you need or you realize you're not alone. Um, it makes such a big difference. When, when, I, when I talk with someone where they have no social connections or or no real uh, community, uh, I think that's one of our first areas of focus. How can we get you connected somewhere? Oh, big time! Yeah, social yeah. relational beings, right? Those connections totally. are huge. Yeah, yeah. I think I think there's some studies out there about just how connected you feel to the people in your life. So sometimes people like to do things individually, and that's okay. But it's that level. So I had a a client recently and he had low confidence in his connectedness to others just because he had some difficulties and challenges in the past so again his he actually had really meaningful connections he had really good we looked at the metrics we like we really dissected that a bit it seems like he had some really good friends but his beliefs about those friendships didn't quite match what was going on there but yeah anyway it's a little side note there something that happened recently in one of my sessions Okay, if we've got a, a, a wish list going here of what we wish the clients knew, I'm going to throw out one other here, which which speaks to my own sort of bias in therapy, which is I wish that people, clients knew and and under believes, I guess that uh, that our childhood affects who we are as adults. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, you know there are a lot of clients, and I get it, who come in and they're like, okay, I got these problems. But I don't want to talk about my childhood. I don't want to talk about early stuff. Just, you know, fix, help me fix this one thing. And that's, that's their choice. That's fine. But uh, 
But boy, a little bit of work on where the origins of some of these problems may have come from. Where, where, where did they start? How, why is it they're, they're there in the first place can be so beneficial to people. And I understand that it's painful and that it's, uh, or it can be painful or can be difficult to, to dredge up some of that stuff. But wow, we really are the products of our environment. And there's so much, you know, you want to talk about research and data behind that, you know, looking at like uh, adverse childhood experiences, the ACEs studies, things like that, that just point to, whoa, if you came from a really difficult, tumultuous background childhood, the the echoes of that will, will kind of persist through your life unless you really address it. Yeah. Yeah, big time. Yeah, no, that's, no that's a that's a really good one. I um, it was just this week I had a newer client. I think I had only seen them maybe two or three times, and yeah, they had brought up in the session. They were like, "Well, I don't I don't think that this is like applicable or anything, but there's like something that happened like a really long time ago when I was really young, and uh, but it probably doesn't mean anything." And I was like, "Actually, <laughs> <laughs> yeah." we should probably really talk about whatever that is. Like, please do share that. Yeah, but just very, like you said, they just like, oh, it's probably irrelevant now. Um, and the fact that you're an adult and this moment stands out to you means that it's worth talking about. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. yeah, and it it probably relates. It's probably something that's that's relevant to this. And Absolutely. And either talking about it, you know, figuring it out, just for, for a lot of people, even just putting it into words and speaking it to another person and conversing about it dissipates a lot of the impact of, of what happened. Yeah. Just that alone. And, you know, maybe you figure out some things to do or, or, or put some other pieces together, but just, just to verbalize it can be valuable. Yeah. Big time. <clears throat> yeah this the message you don't have to be alone yeah mm -hmm. yeah you don't, need, you don't need to do this alone um and if you have no connections then the therapy could be a place to start and go from there yeah. that's right we just another one i'll throw out there i'm not sure how we're doing for time here but uh you're not the exception to compassion yeah so that that's the phrase that comes up quite a bit Absolutely. how do you mean do you, tell me about that what do you mean it means that a lot of people are very much focused on other people's well-being, trying to yeah. give them abuses or suffering, but often they're the exception to that compassion. Like they, they were really good yeah. at practicing it with others, but mm -hmm. not with themselves. They're undeserving of it. Or yeah. Not so like, worthy of it. So Dr. Neff, I forget her first Kristen? name. Kristen Neff talks about self-compassion. And a lot of people have, um, sometimes the techniques seem, you know, I don't know. Some people have a hard time connecting with them. But it's such important work though, right? Um, just trying to learn how to treat yourself the way that you treat others who are important to you in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Treating yourself kindly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's even like, even when you go through examples and you're like, well, what would you say to a friend who's going through the same situation? Or how about, do you see other people that way? Or do you judge other people? And they're like, well, no, but it's just, we all acknowledge we're different towards ourselves. Sometimes we can be our own worst enemy or we don't have that compassion for ourselves so it's a very good point it's very common yeah. we're harder on ourselves Absolutely. we feel like it's yeah yeah but not that i uh, agree with all his views he's a controversial fellow but 
Jordan Peterson in one of his books said that uh, you got to treat yourself like you treat your dog. Mm-hmm. Because some people are so loving and caring for their dogs and make sure that they get their walks and they, they get fed and they, they, if they need medication, they give medication. So you're, we're very disciplined and focused on the well-being of our uh, pets or close little furry companions, but we don't treat ourselves with that level of, of care, right? That's true. That's yeah. true. I'll talk to clients about how we, if we're going to receive feedback from the outside world, we need to be fair about it. Meaning a lot of people will will take in criticism from other people, but they won't take in compliments from other people, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, they'll, they'll take in the, the whatever, the, the judgments, but they won't take in the love. So I say either you got to you gotta be consistent here. Like either take it all in, <laughs> take yeah. in both the, the criticism and the love, or don't take any of it in. Don't take the criticism and don't take the love, but you can't just be selective and say, I'm going to take the bad stuff and not the good stuff. Yeah. No, like you um, phrase that. Yeah. You had to use that one. Yeah. Yeah. You take it all or take nothing, but because either way you're going to be, you know, if, if you're not taking anything from the outside world, then, then you've got to just sit with your own self-concepts. All right. But you can't do both um, or you know, be selective like that. And I know I have a hard time taking compliments. I think a lot of people have a hard time taking compliments. But, um, you know, we've got to be fair about that. <laughs> if we're going to take in the negatives, let's take in the good, too. Yeah, yeah. that's a good one. Good um, for some reason, as we're talking about compassion, one that uh, is it's not actually compassion, but... Um, something for me I wish clients knew that sometimes the more often sometimes the best or healthy choice for them is not going to be an easy or happy choice Mm. um yeah I think as we're talking about like yeah self-care and these different aspects there's gonna be like yeah I think um comes up with mindfulness too like when people think about doing mindfulness they think they're gonna feel just at peace right away or that it's about breath work or but um it's actually about accepting the negative emotion too like you're just aware of what is and and yeah so I I think a lot of clients think if they're choosing the right thing then they're going to feel always like happy or at peace but often in life your best choice or healthy choice might actually feel distressing before it feels better And uh, it makes me think of anxiety again, right? Anxiety, one of the biggest defense mechanisms that we have with anxiety is to avoid. But um, you have to step into that discomfort, right? Yeah. You have to face it. If not, yeah. then it starts to take over a bit. It starts yeah. to impact more of, of your life, right? I'm so thinking some... like boundary setting, oh, okay. actually, yeah. as well, like in different relational dynamics. Or um, if you have to make a a difficult choice in a transition, whether like moving or a new job or changing a relationship or ending a relationship, like some of these choices can be really, really hard, but they're actually the best or healthiest choices for you, even though they're kind of wrapped up in negative emotions in the moment. So I guess you're avoiding the negative emotion. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, Kenny Rogers, the gambler song. You gotta know no way to hold them. No, no way to fold them. No way to walk away. No, no way to run. run. You never count, count your, your money. money. 
Sitting at the table, there'll be time enough for counting when the dealing's done. But imagine if you're at that table and you just keep on throwing in chips and keep on throwing yeah. in chips and keep on throwing in chips and just refuse to walk away or to fold any hands. Exactly. Um, you're going to run out of chips and that could look different. That could look like. Yes. Yeah, so that's the hardest thing to do is yeah. to fold that hand or to walk away from that table. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But sometimes yeah. you got to do it. And it's not going to feel good. Yeah. Versus, yeah. But it's better for you in the long run. Yeah. Wow. A spontaneous song. Broke out into spontaneous song. This is a new a new high for the, the podcast, I'm sure. That was wonderful, guys. The, the brother and sister duo, you guys nailed it. It was fantastic. <laughs> Only if we had a cello to, to back us up. <laughs> That's true. Yes, I was gonna. Yeah, the boundary part I think is is a great one too, Brooke. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that's another thing that that we uh, we we want all of our clients to be aware of and and become kind of fluent in setting good boundaries, and and yeah, that doesn't feel good at first. It's gonna feel uh, it's gonna feel difficult for you you're going to might feel guilty setting those boundaries at first the people around you are going to resist that they're not used to those you setting boundaries and so they're going to rebel against that and be like what are you doing you used to always let me barge into your room or you know you always tell me everything about your life what's what's wrong with you why aren't you doing that anymore and so there's going to be a response and that that's a period of time that's that's an adjustment for everybody but in the long run if you can stick it out if you can hold with those boundaries for a while People will adjust, you'll feel better, and oftentimes even the others will feel better too. Yeah. Yeah, good point. And I'll, I'm going to throw in another, another piece, another one to, again, piggyback, which is that uh, not all relationships have to have to stay intact forever, which includes family oh boy bad for saying that that's maybe. a really good one yeah just this uh, all relationships the idea that you have to because it's family um no you don't no you don't you don't have to stay in contact and in good standing with everyone in your life because they've been a friend or because you share blood with them or whatever uh, Life is too short for that. Sometimes if this is a really toxic sort of relationship and there doesn't seem to be any growth or any attempts at uh, growth and healing on the other person's part, the best choice for you may be to cut cut it loose and to kind of deal with those consequences. And I know that's, that's a hard thing because uh, a lot of family cultural things kind of butt against that, but I've I've walked with a lot of clients through that through the years where they're like, I just can't do this anymore. And I feel horrible about it, but it's really the best thing to do. Yeah. Reminds me of a Kenny Rogers song. No, uh, quality of our connections in our life, right? No. It doesn't necessarily have to be with family members per se, but it's uh, the quality of those attachments, relationships, right? So maybe yeah. with a friend or who knows? Could be work, work, colleague. Yeah. That's 
dogs. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the whole idea that, well, that's the way it's always been done, or that's the way we do things here. Those are, are worthy of, of questioning sometimes, you know, maybe that's not the best thing for you. Maybe, maybe the way it's always been done is not the healthiest thing for you. And maybe that means you need to make some really hard decisions. Yeah. True. Yeah. Wow. Lots of nuggets here. Open Lots of nuggets. Right yes. Wow. Okay. Well, Brooke, did we answer your question? I think so. Do you guys think so? Yeah, I think there's a lot there. Yeah. Lots of different kids, but. It was yeah. kind of set up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Um, Brooke, I just have to mention that you said that you took your dog outside to go to the washroom. Uh, yeah. Is there an actual wash room outside that your dog goes to? Well, there is right now because there's snow. So I guess that's kind of washing. <laughs> so we often say washroom or bathroom. But in the right. States, restroom, right? So we say or toilet. A washroom. They're like, what? Restroom or bathroom or maybe toilet. But yeah, the, but the we just mentioned going outside of the washroom. I'm like, hmm, is there a room out there? <laughs> A special yeah. area. The dogs have a pretty good life out there. Yeah, they have a little washer in the snow. You built a little igloo, sort of a space for okay. the dog to defecate, right? Okay. Privacy. Yeah. Perfect. I love it. All right. Well, we'll sign off for now. Great topic, Brooke. Woo! So next time is book club. Book club is next time, and the book is Braiding Sweetgrass. Bye. I don't remember the author's name. Robin Kimmerer. Kimmerer. Right. Breaking Sweetgrass next time. Until then, we will say goodnight. Uh, like and subscribe. Apple, Google, Podbean, Spotify, Podcast, Stitcher. And we'll talk to you guys later. Good night, everybody. everybody. Yeah, bye. Bye.